This morning we're going to be uh, in Genesis chapter 16. But as we start, uh, something was on my heart to rhyme. <laughs> I tend to do that uh, last night uh, as I prepared. Um, really, after we had that conversation in the kitchen, and conversation continued later on. That man about God's will, and we pray so often. <clears throat> or we desire to see, perhaps, so often God's will, or we say, God, would you do this? God, could you do this? Or God, would you want to do this? And I think a lot of times the answer is yes. Yes. He would want to do this. He could do this. And he wants to do this. I know I've shared it before, but I wonder you know, why, why then we don't see it. And it's not all the time, I don't believe. I think a lot of the time it's we have to be willing to go. We have to be willing to give God our hands and our feet, our wallets, our time. Because he's sending us. He has at least two-thirds of the angels on his side. And a few of us ragtag failures in this world. And he asks us to go. Because he wants us to. Because he wants us to. And it's not to say that God's not going to work if we don't do it or he's dependent on us. I think it's a lot simpler than we make it out to be sometimes. Perhaps that ties into the message today, and, and maybe it doesn't. But what the title of today's message is Sarai said to Abram. Sarai said to Abram. You know, she hadn't been, her name hadn't been changed to Sarah yet. His name hadn't been changed to Abraham yet. But if Sarai said something to Abram, I wonder what do we say to the people that we're around all the time? And who are those people that we speak to on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, every, every three, six months? I don't know what it is. <clears throat> you know, you get older and you, you turn around and you find that, oh, it's been three months since I saw this person, but it only felt like a week because so much is going on. But are there people that you find, and I find myself and ourselves, speaking to more than others? Are there people in your life that you find yourself in conversation with more than others? Now, perhaps that's you like talking to them. Who knows if they like talking to you, but (laughs) you like talking to them. And maybe there's others you don't talk to. Maybe for good reason. You know, it's just never a good conversation. Or maybe there's others you don't talk to and it's really we should talk to, but we're afraid to talk to or whatever the case may be. Right, I'd wager to say that the people you talk to most you like, unless you have to talk to them, like it's work, or you're, you work at, you know, a friend of ours works at a call center, and people call him and tech questions all the time. I couldn't handle that. <laughs> so that's my mom, and I'm very good and patient with tech questions. But they call because they're looking for an answer, and I wonder who do we call when we're looking for an answer? 
who are the people that we talk to when we need to be talked to, when we need advice? And is there, is there advice, I spelled it wrong in my notes, but I know the difference between there, there, and there, but is there advice godly? Do they trust God? Does their trust in God inspire you to trust God more? I think those are the people we need to seek advice from. The people that when we look on in their lives, we say, yeah, they're not perfect, but they trust God. And because they trust God, I want to trust God. And does their... I think one of the litmus tests for that is does their advice lead you to trust in God more? Trust in them more? Or trust in yourself more? Because there's lots of advice in the world. There's lots of people who give advice that sounds good or are willing to give you advice. But perhaps they say things like, follow your heart. Listen to me. Except I think when Dr. Stanley says listen, we can listen to him. But what has the Lord said? Does the advice that your friends and your confidants give you, maybe they don't say that specifically, but does it revolve around, what has the Lord said? This is what the Bible says. What is your devotional time like, etc., etc. But as we'll see today, that Abram gets some advice that he follows from someone that he should be able to get advice from. In fact, someone that he's designed to get advice from that's none other than his wife as a man that's the one you need to get the most advice from babe is this okay babe is there something on my shirt babe where did i leave it babe what do i do you need to be able to lead as a man but you need to be able to take advice as a man because us men we need advice when i go to buy something i read product reviews i watch videos i want to make sure that my budget is being well spent on this thing that I probably don't need in life, but I'm going to spend money on it anyway. I want to make sure that it's the best widget I can buy. Perhaps directions. You know, the typical man doesn't want to follow directions. Maybe I'm just a little different sometimes, at least when it comes to Legos, because as a kid, I loved to follow the directions and build it right. But then I would take it all apart and build my own thing. You know, men, I think we, we look at the directions, we know that they're there, and because we know that they're there, we think we know what we're doing. Oh, yeah, I have the directions, it's fine. I'll, you know, I'll do it, and when I mess up, then I'll turn to them. I think a lot of times we should probably just read them first, myself included. Or maps, you know, the typical story of a man and a woman on vacation and not knowing where they're going, and, honey, you think we should stop and get directions? Oh, no, 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 I got a great sense of direction. But there's a lot of places to get advice from, direction from, like I said, some good, some bad. But most of all, we need to be able to get it. And more than advice, we need godly counsel. Because there's advice, but then there's counsel. The Bible talks about with many counselors, there's safety and by, by good counsel, wage war. Not the word to start a war, but sincerely war, you need good counsel to figure out what you're doing. Because lives depend on it. But we need godly counsel as men from our wives. Proverbs 19, 20, 21 says, Hear counsel and receive instruction. 
that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. There are many devices in a man's heart. You know, there's lots of things. You don't know what's going on in there. God's word knows what's going on in there, but there's lots of things in your heart and you need to figure it out. Lots of ways that a man can figure out his own direction, but it's not necessarily the best. And it says, nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Guys, figure out rationale and reasons for everything we do. We try and make it look like we're always right, but we're not. That's my wife. Happens at least once a year. I'm not right. <laughs> and that's right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but sincerely, wives, are you prepared to give godly counsel to your husbands? And husbands, are you prepared to receive that godly counsel from your wives? That's a hard one. You need to be quick to listen, right? And Lord, today as we get in your word, we want to receive your counsel, God's counsel. So speak to us, we pray. Let us be in a place to receive from you today. Because God, you're the one we need to receive from first and always. And sometimes the only one we can. So God, have your way in us today. That others might come and see how good you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we start, I want to put a caveat, parental warning. This is a PG-13 message. It's okay, I, I knew they'd be here, so <laughs> I'm choosing my words wisely. Genesis 16. We're going to be in Genesis 16, and we'll start with the first four verses together. It says, uh, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please, go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when he, she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. We'll stop there for right now. It says that Sarai had borne Abram no children. And unfortunately, back in the day, and maybe even up until recently, or in other cultures, or even our own, I think even in the heart of woman, there's some value and some worth tied up in the ability to have children. I mean, it's a God-given blessing to have children. But I think more so than that, more so than I'm sure the deep desire of, of most women to have children is this cultural significance of the woman and her not having much value outside bearing children in time past. And that's unfortunate because women are worth so much more. They are of value whether they can have babies or not. They are of value whether they have the same education as a man or not. They are of value even if they don't make as much money as a man or not. And God shows that in scripture, the original feminist was the Christian because it said that, we'll see it later, that women and men are equal in God's sight. We have different roles, of course, but we're equal. But poor Sarai, and, and, I, and I don't know the depth of this, 
pain and, and wonder that she felt. She couldn't bear Abram any children. I'm sure she wanted to. They wanted a child. God had promised them a child. And yet the child hadn't come. You know, God's promise to them was one would be born in Abram's house. And we read last week, Abram says, God, who are you going to give me as an heir? You know, I've got Eleazar of Damascus, but he's not my own. God says, no, 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 it's not, it's not your servant, Eleazar. It's going to be one born in your own house. So we see about 10 years has passed, and it says in the same verse that Sarai had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, and Hagar's name means flight. Maybe she was bird-like. Maybe she could run like the wind. Maybe she was a track star. I don't know. But where do you think Sarai picked up this Egyptian maidservant? I know they had slave trade and slave markets, but it's kind of interesting that they went down to Egypt at one point, that Abram gave Sarai his wife away as his sister, and Pharaoh, God plagued Pharaoh's house, and Pharaoh realized, and kicked him out, and said, Abram, what are you doing? Like, you don't need to do this. I have to, you know, and they left with a bunch of possessions and things. I have to think that perhaps, you know, the simple answer is that she came from Egypt with them. I don't know for sure, but I think if we're just to take it simply, maybe that's where she came from. I mean, she's Egyptian. Maybe she came from Pharaoh's household. But we should probably take note that these two sentences are in the same verse. And I believe they really tell this story in one verse. Oh, good. We can end here and go home and go about our day. But it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. It says, well, these two supposedly different things, you don't think these things are related, are put right next to each other, back to back. Sarah, Sarai couldn't give Abram children in her flesh, so as we see here that she gives her servant by the flesh. I mean, didn't God say it wouldn't be a servant? It's not Eleazar, your servant. It'd be one born in your own house. Well, technically, Ishmael would be born in his house. But as we know, Ishmael is not the one God had intended. She says here, <clears throat> Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I haven't written down God will hear, and I'll remember that. That came from. See now, the Lord has trained me. Please go in my job. Uh, maybe it's I, maybe that was Ishmael's name. I apologize. It was late when I wrote that down. But it says God will hear. I I almost get the impression that there's a fleshly response here. That she's almost like naming, claiming. You know, God hasn't heard me, so God's going to hear me now. He hasn't answered my prayer when I asked, but when I do this, when I do this, He has to answer. God hasn't given me a child, but when I give Hagar to Abram, God has to answer now. God has to show up now. You know, it wasn't God's best. It wasn't even God's just okay. We talk about God's perfect will and God's permissible will. But this just isn't even at all what God had wanted. And so often it is that our fleshly carrying out to meet a natural, physical, or even spiritual desire just shouldn't have happened. There's no rationale. There's no justification that says that this is okay. Like I said, Hagar's name means flight, and we'll read about her running away from all of this later. But were they running out of Egypt? Were they rushing to get a fulfillment of God's promise to get them a baby? I think we need to be careful what we begin to lump together in life. 
when we rush, ten, things they tend to get lumped together, like in traffic. You know, stop and go traffic lots. Everyone's rushing, and then they got to stop. Everyone's rushing, and then they got to stop. Things get bunched up. You have fender benders. Things happen. We need to be careful what lumps together in our life, in our thoughts, our habits, where we go, what we do, what advice we receive, what friends we have. And is there anything in your life that belongs in another sentence or perhaps shouldn't even be spoken of altogether? Ephesians 5 talks about, in 11 and 12, it says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them, that would be the, the, the wicked in secret. And you know, the world loves to talk about things that are done in secret. Loves to put them on the headlines, put it on a parade float, make it in a movie, give it an award. To make the things done perversely in secret the center of public attention. But the Bible says, for us who have been redeemed from the world, it is shameful even to speak of it, to partake in giving it any glory by even giving it the time of day in a sentence of your conversation or thought. You know, Sarai here blames God. I think at least she just puts the onus on him, the responsibility on him. Well, it's God who makes babies, and God hasn't given us one yet, so I'm going to do something about it. She says, restrain me. God has held me back from this. And I don't know her heart per se, you know, I, you know, desperation, desperate times call for desperate measures. The emotions are strong, the feelings are strong. I'm not blaming or faulting by any stretch of the imagination in the sense that, yeah, it was wrong. She probably knew it was wrong, but which one of us are above doing the wrong thing? We've all done the wrong thing. So I can't judge her for it. I can only say that she did it. Because God doesn't judge her for it. But she says that God has held me back from this. You know, it sounds spiritual, right? Oh, God has held me back from this right in my life, from this thing that I desire in my life. But if it was, if it was truly spiritual in every way, because obviously it was right, God had not let her have a baby yet. God had promised a baby to come. It hadn't come yet. So if God's the one who promised a baby, God's the one who makes babies, and it hasn't happened yet, God's holding it back. But he had a reason. And if what she said was deeply spiritual, she would be looking for God to act and not making her own way to be unrestrained in the promise. Sometimes when we walk the narrow road of Christianity, we feel restrained and we seek to loose those restraints, restraints in our flesh by making something happen that God says it's not time for it to happen yet. It will happen, but it's not time for it to happen yet. Because God's promises can only lead to God's miracles. God's promises are never directly answered by my own fleshly and our own fleshly doings. God's answer or God's promise might mean that we need to step up to the plate and take responsibility and do something, but it's only at his leading. And this isn't God's leading. God, man, one man, one woman, that's marriage, that's it. No one else involved. So it says here that Sarai said to Abram, and I go, hey, you know, maybe Moses going, so Sarai, hey, he 
said to Abram. She said to Abram. So these two thoughts, that they want to have a baby and it's not happening, came together and conceived in her mind. Let's make it happen. And I, if this is you or if this is someone you know, please don't take this the wrong way. And please don't take it as condemnation. But more that it's something on my heart and something that I want to speak up for, for they have no voice. But in vitro fertilization, it's multiple babies, multiple embryos. Some are selected, some are not. Multiple are implanted and most aren't expected to survive. Again, I'm not condemning you if you have. And I know the desire to have a baby is strong and it's a joy that is like any other. But is it really the answer God would have for us? For four, five, six, I don't know how many other embryos, babies to die. Then we might have the joy of one. She says, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. I'm sorry, Sarai, you'll never obtain children from another lady by force. Adoption, it's wonderful. Someone else has a baby, they don't want it for whatever reason. I think it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful thing. It's something, it's a high calling. It's, I think, even in a higher calling than just having babies naturally. Because, man, you're taking on someone else's child. There's one thing when I go, man, this is my kid, I can't get rid of him. But you know what? I bought you. You know, I bought you at a price. Adoption's expensive. To go through all that, I'm like, man, give me my insurance. I don't want to pay for a dime with the doctor. You know, give me a big baby shower. I don't want to buy diapers. But people that, you know, that's a beautiful thing, and that's a, a godly picture to adopt. Because who are we? We are adopted by God, right? But we see now this idea of a three-parent child now taking DNA, mashing it together, forcing it into an egg. And who, who, like, who are the people that come that want a three-parent child? It's not one husband and one wife. It's a, it's a strange situation. And if it works, that poor kid is born into a strange situation. crisis of identity, authority, structure in his or her little life. Being a kid is hard enough. Being alive is hard enough. Can you imagine? Well, you're not my dad. I, none of your DNA came through to me. <laughs> All trying to do things, I believe, in the face of God. Because we've figured it out, we've come up with some plan, where now we can do life on our own. I don't know. Perhaps we think we can make the perfect baby there. Perhaps this is part of the spirit of the Antichrist to make a savior, a messiah, a perfect being by being able to pick and choose whose DNA goes in there all at the slap in the face of God. Again, I'm not saying that I'm not coming down hard on judgment on these things. I just have to wonder, is this really God's intention? You know, maybe they just want two dads and two moms. 
DNA instead of a mom and a dad. But again, caring for someone else. There was a TV show in the 90s where a lady bore the triplets of her brother's wife because she was infertile. And I think, it, like, I think in a sense that's noble in a way, but I just wonder how, you know, I don't even know how that, how that works. But man, that's, that's got to be a complicated situation, I think, you know. I'm glad that we have technology and ways to help with fertilization and, and ways, and we know more about the body, but sometimes I think we sweep under the rug, you know, some of the true cost of it. But you know, there, there's nothing new under the sun. Because the same desire, same thing going on here, maybe carried out in a worse way, I don't know, but she says, please Abram, Sleep with this younger lady of mine and have a baby. You know, how many times do you think it took her to get pregnant? Was it just one time? How many times did Abram have to do this? You know, she gave him to be his wife. And how was her relationship afterwards? And how willing was she to be a second wife to Abram? I don't know that she could say no. She was a servant. She was a slave. Talk about all these things right now in, in the world and awful things going on and people taking advantage of other people. And Well, Abram, he did the voice of his wife. What's his thought process here? You know, it's quite some time, again, since God promised, 10 years, in fact, that it hasn't happened. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I've got to cobble a plan together. All this is still hanging on to the flesh. They, they keep progressing in their faith but they're still hanging on to their flesh. And I don't get the sense that Abram's heeding his wife's advice was all that difficult, unfortunately. I don't get it that Abram really stewed over this. It's like, oh, really? You sure? All right. If you say so, babe. I guess I'll give it a shot. I have to say it here, but I think I side with the feminists when I say Abram was a dog. All men are dogs. You give a dog a chance to eat a bone, he'll probably eat it. That's why as men we need Jesus, especially in this day and age, when it's easy to be a dog. But we read of strange relationships in the news all the time. And like I said, and like the Bible said long before me, and I'm only saying because the Bible says it, it's not a glory to get involved in these things. And it shows by the criminal news resulting from some of these relationships, from torn hearts and twisted motives, just how wrong they are. There's no circumstance that makes being with another person okay. Even if your wife told you to do it, it will not make her happy. There will be jealousy, as we see here. There will be resentment. And how could there not be? This intimacy is just for marriage. I believe there's, and I know there's a reason that God gives a pass for people who get divorced over adultery, because the wound is just too deep sometimes. And I pray nothing like that ever happens to any of us. But even if and when it is forgiven and the marriage moves on, I don't know. I haven't been there, but I'm I'm sure in some way it's never the same. I know that God forgives and we can forget and we can move on, but it's got to be different. There's got to be a scar where there's just places you don't tread anymore, even in the grace of God. I know I can move on. I know I can get better. If both turn to the Lord, I know I can, but it doesn't mean it has to.
And you know what happens here? Hagar conceived. I mean, big surprise, right? People these days seem to forget that that's what happens. And that's what it's for. It was an accident. Ah, how? You knew. Trust me, you knew. You remembered probably right when it was going on. How do I know? Because I've been there. But no one's an accident. If your parents think that, it's because they thought they could drive off a cliff and not crash. That's not an accident when you drive off a cliff. That's like, that's, rec that's being evil can evil. And I guarantee they knew full well it could happen anyway, and they went on with it because we know why. You're not an accident. No one is an accident. God is the one who makes the child. But Hagar starts showing, and either when she showed the results of her pregnancy test, or it was obvious that she was pregnant, she despised Sarai. And I'm sure Sarai wasn't happy either. You know, how could she not? She and Abram had been together for so long that she couldn't have a baby. She, in desperation, gives Hagar away with the intent of a baby coming and finding the joy and the answer to promise God, uh, answered God's promise in it. But does the sowing to the flesh ever result in the joy of God? Well, that's no. It always results in some death of joy in our lives. Their close relationship now becomes despising her. She used to have this handmaid. They were probably close. She probably looked at this, this girl, Hagar, and said, hey, Hagar's, Hagar's a good handmaid. I'm sure she had multiple handmaids. They were rich. And she picked this one. Because the very thing promised to her and wasn't happening no matter how hard they tried now happened so quickly with her handmaid. And I don't blame her. How could you feel any different? I don't blame her feelings here. You know, there's only one result to a lot of actions we have, and that's can't be blamed for the result, so to speak. It's going to happen. But she approved a physical betrayal, and the very thing you always desired is now someone else's that they barely wanted and certainly didn't do much to get. Hagar didn't want this. Hagar wasn't pining over this for 10 years. Hagar didn't do much. I mean, don't mean to be crass, but she just showed up, and that was it. While well, Sarai's been praying and trying and trying, and I don't blame her for feeling these ways, and and it's, I, you know, I blame her for doing the wrong thing, but I, you know, I get where they're coming from. But Abram should have kept laying down in God's covenant. Remember when God had him prepare the covenant last chapter and he laid down and passed out? He should have stayed there. He should not have gotten up to lay down anywhere else. Sleep in the same bed. At least give each other time in the same sentence together. For homework, I want you to read 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 6. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 6. You'll get it. I don't need to explain it. If you say you don't get it, I think maybe, don't shoot the messenger, you just don't want to admit the reality that we are not our own. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 6. Poor Sarai, to feel so desperate and rejected, even by God, God is the one who's restrained me, even though he hadn't. To resort to such a measure and the emotional turmoil and obviously the ensuing drama, you know. Save the drama for your mama. You, you can't have a situation like this and expect there not to be drama. You just can't. 
there's enough drama in the right relationship, let alone introducing something wrong into it. And poor Hagar, they'd be put in that position. And now despising her master for it. You know, I've got the promise of God in my belly that you've been promising for, and, but I don't get all the rights that you have. I'm not his wife. I'm not, I don't, I'm not you. I'm just some slave. Can't believe you made me do this. And foolish Abram, buddy, you knew what you were doing. Just like Adam. You stood by and said, all right, yeah, give me a piece of that fruit. Sure. And how often is that? We know exactly what we are doing. We may even know God's command or promise, even in that very moment. Yet it really is just a matter of not being willing to wait. And that's sin, guys. And, and I know about it. But I also know that God is willing to forgive. God is willing to restore God is willing to give grace. And as we'll see, even answer our promise that we try to answer ourselves. Let's go on, verse 5. It says, Then Sarai said to Abram, well, she said something to him again. Better watch out, Abram. She says, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, Hagar fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat's just dry here. Abram gets the what for. Sarai says, My wrong be upon you. This is your fault. Abram, why did you let me do this? Why did you do this? Look at the mess we're in now. God better deal with you. God's going to figure out between you and me. And the onus is going to be on you, buddy. And in truth, it was. He should have been her covering. There to protect her from the consequence of this obviously colossal mistake. And men, well, Mario, because you know in here. We're the only men in here. Well, Jacob, too. You can listen later. Our own selfishness to meet our own desires no matter what they are, no matter how right they are, no matter how spiritual they sound. Oh, thank you, baby. Thank you. Even if our wife tells us to go and do it, we'll only come back to hurt them. Abram, well, he had a night out. He, he just gets to sit back and deal with the drama, but who's really hurting deep down? His wife. We need to be careful, men. What we do affects them and so Abram tries to make peace here like any good husband babe whatever you want do whatever you want I don't know <laughs> whatever is going to make this right <laughs> you know I, but man it's pathetic in the same sentence I can't fix this we don't have to keep her around for my sake I don't you know whatever 
But man, no birth is a mistake. Even if it was by rape, that child has worth. I'm not justifying the experience. I'm not trying to belittle, obviously, the horror and tragedy of that situation. If anyone I knew was taking advantage of like that, so help me God. I read about this father in Texas who is acquitted of, I don't know if he murdered or beat the living tar out of a man he found molesting his child. He even lunged at the guy. He said, that I'm, there's a video, he's in court. I don't know if it's the same guy or a different guy, but he's like, judge, will you give me 10 minutes alone? This, this is a different case. 10 minutes alone, the judge says, I understand, but no, I can't. He goes, judge, will you give me five minutes alone? The judge says, I understand, but I can't. Judge, will you give me one minute alone? The judge says, I'm sorry, I can't. He says, all right then. And he lunges over to go, like, he almost gets the guy, like, beat him, and he's fighting the cops, he's not stopping. The cops are like, please stop, like, we get it, like, just stop, we understand. No charges were filed against him. The other guy who did beat the guy when he caught him, no charges, acquitted, because they know how horrible it is. And a man should stand up for that. But even if that were to happen, and there were to be a child from some situation of that matter, it's not the child's fault. That child has worth, even if the parents came together by violence and force, and not by love. Because if we go by that standard, where on the sliding scale of lust to love does someone get their worth? And the answer is nowhere on that scale. The person gets their worth because they're made in the image of God. And if that child comes in from a perfect spiritual holy matrimony by divine intervention with Mary or by some perverse act, that child is still beautiful. That child is still made in God's image and just as valuable as any other child. There are other options. That child does not need to be killed. And I'm not... I don't know how to, I don't, I don't know how to answer the emotion or the pain or the struggle of the woman in that situation. I'm not like, again, I'm not trying to draw judgment. I'm not trying to condemn. I just, all I know is that child is worth. And, and to be honest, I don't know where to go from there. That's all I know. And this poor girl, Hagar, like her name is, she flees. She flies away. But I love this verse. She flies away. But the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. God was looking out for her. In fact, this angel of the Lord is Christophany. How many times do we see Christophany? Plenty of times, but do you really think that, you know, did it, that God would show up to some servant girl who was running away from her master. Jesus himself shows up and goes, Hagar, where are you going? He knew. Where you come from? He knew. But Hagar, I'm, I'm here for you. I care about you. Abram doesn't. Sarai, I don't know. But I care about you. I'll be your covering. I'll provide for you. And in fact, your child will be okay. They're going to survive. And they're going to have descendants. Many. God was looking out for her. And we know that Jesus knew a thing or two about looking out. I'm sorry, Jesus looking out a thing or two about meeting an unwanted woman at a well. I didn't do the geography homework, but this was Jacob's well. 
well, the woman in Samaria, there's some similarities there. You know, Jesus in John 4.10 says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus was there thirsty. This woman came to draw water for him, but he said, if you had asked me, I would have given you a drink, even though I'm sitting here parsing. <laughs> Thank you, Bagel, for giving me a drink. <laughs> but God tells her, go get a lawyer. Take Abram for all his worth. Get him, girl. You got a case. He says, little Hagar, go back. I'm going to provide for your son Ishmael, but you have to go back. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. You know, a friend was telling me yesterday about an employee that they have, and he really just does it as a men pleaser when the boss is around. But as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality in him. Bosses, don't threaten your employees. Give it up. Slaves, obey your masters like you would the Lord. And that was the blessing for her that even though there was this animosity, even though there was this drama and this pain and this weird situation, God would provide through it. God would cover and bless and fulfill despite the sin. To forgive the sin. You know, every relationship in life has an order about it, but it cannot be healed unless that order is submitted to. A husband and wife's marriage will never be healed until the husband loves the wife and lays his life down for her like Jesus and until she respectfully submits even if she totally disagrees at times. Not that she won't give advice, not that she won't say, I don't agree, not that she won't give reasons to, but at the end of the day, we're both going the same direction. Unless it's, you know, totally, totally simple. But what Abram and Sarai, that's what Abram and Sarai should have done. You know, our, your relationship with your boss may never be fixed if it's broken until you treat them with respect and the obedience they deserve as your boss. You know, my boss, thankfully my direct boss, I also consider a friend, and he, I believe he considers me a friend. But at the end of the day, he's still my boss. And my friendship does not trump my relationship with him as my boss. He was my boss first. Even if he was my friend first, if he had one day, you know, you have a business and I need a job and I come work for you, well, you're my boss and I need to respect you as that. And we see a lot of trouble in life because relationships are not followed. Jacob David, Jacob David, I know, go sit down with mommy. We'll be done in a little bit, bud. But when the relationships break, when a relationship breaks, so often we try to redefine it to fix it. Oh, I'm being a bad dad, so I'll just be their friend. And now you're a worse dad. Oh, well, we have this problem in life, so we'll just, we'll just redefine the rules of our marriage. But we must, instead of redefining it, recommit our dedication to it, even if it means going back to it. I'm not going to tell you what to go back to, 
or who to go back to or that you have to in every situation, but God may call you to go back to a situation you don't want to go back to in order to fix something. And I believe, I've seen, I've done it myself, that we leave our relationships all too quickly these days, even if the reason is valid. Jacob, David, sit down, buddy. Listen to mom. No, okay, well, listen to mom. Even if the reason is valid, I still think we leave our relationships too early. How long do people stay at their jobs these days? You looked on LinkedIn and millennials, how quickly people turnover is. We don't have careers anymore. It's just another job. And, you know, the market's changed. Things are different. You know, I'm not saying one way or the other. But sincerely, how often do people quit just because they had a bad day? Or leave a relationship. Or stop being friends with someone over some minor drama. Even in the church. I'm not going there anymore. Do you know what they said? Well, do you know what you said? Do you know what you did? Do you know what you've been like the past 10 years? You know what it's like having you in the church? Well, blessed subtraction, you know? How about we just blessed forgiveness? We've forgotten about forgiveness. We really have. That forgiveness, it's not an option. It's the way. And the power of God only is shown through it. God's ultimate act, God's ultimate power was shown when? At the cross. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they, they knew what they were doing. They just didn't realize the deep implications of it. And I think the same thing with Abram and Sarai. If they had known that this was going to turn into a fight for millennial, millennium, millennia, thank you, they wouldn't, probably wouldn't have done it. I think a lot of times, life, we, if we had seen the full extent of the consequences of our actions, maybe we would have said, eh, I'm going to go home now. Myself included. But most importantly, we've forgotten about the power of God within forgiveness to not just fix, but to make brand new. Brand new. God extends the promise here. Even though Hagar inherited it by the flesh, Hagar wasn't in the original conversation with Abram and God. Nothing about servants. But God loves Hagar just as much as he loves Abram. And God says, you're involved in this now. Of course I'm going to send my promise to you. Of course your son, even though he's not the promised son, I'm going to extend, he doesn't say more than you can, more than you know, the stars in the sky, but he says more descendants than you know of. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be the children of faith, but they would be children of the flesh. God is willing to make things right with people who have been wronged. To give them things they were never promised, as if they had been promised those things and had a right to those things. Like I said, the difference between her child and the coming child, Isaac, was the spiritual heir. Ishmael would not be the spiritual heir. He could be part physical heir of Abram's household, but he would not be the physical heir of faith. One would just be people multiplied. The other would be God's chosen people multiplied. And no amount of rationalization or justification will make fleshly relationships receive God's full blessing. Oh, but I'm reaching out to them to save them. and Don't be in a relationship with them. You can be friends with them. You can minister to them, evangelize to them, but that doesn't mean have a relationship with them. You know, although an unbelievers, unbelievers marry, none of them believe in God, they get married, which is a godly ordinance, and guess what? 
God honors it. God blesses it. People follow the Ten Commandments. Their life's probably pretty good. I mean, look at the Jewish people. They don't believe in the Messiah, but they still tend to follow God's laws in a sense. And why are the Jewish people so rich? And why are they, well, they're following God. You know, it's like if God says two plus two is four and you do two plus two is four, even if you don't like the mathematician, you're still going to get four at the end of the day. But God had something else in mind before those unbelievers made that commitment, and that was salvation. But anything other than the, the one man marrying one woman cannot be blessed of God and is not the design of God. I don't care if you get married in a church, if the church says that this marriage is okay, God didn't. God didn't. Let's go on. Let's finish. It says in verse 11, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Yeah, I went back and pasted that. That was what his name meant. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, and he shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Verse 13, Then she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Be'er Lehoroi. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now again, this reminds me of when the angel appears to Mary and lets her know about Jesus coming, except Mary hadn't conceived yet and Jesus would be by the Holy Spirit. But God cared about little Mary. And God cared about little Hagar. And God gives such great promises and blessings to those who aren't even in his house. We see that in the Old Testament. If people would just turn to God who weren't even Israelites, they could become his people. Provision is in Passover as well. And if we just honor God's laws, he'll bless us, even if we don't really believe in him. Because he's that good and he's that willing to pursue us. But both Sarai and Hagar needed to get along for the sake of their family. And after divorce, you don't have to be friends, but you should be civil for the sake of the family and for the children. Well, why should I stay in a marriage just for the kids? Well, for the kids. For God. I don't know. What's more important to you? Going on a date or having kids that at least have some structure? I don't know. And again, I'm not saying that has to be every situation. There's certainly situations where you do need to get out of the relationship in the house. But but who is this Ishmael and what will he be like? The Bible says he's a wild man and literally the Bible says a wild donkey. If you look it up in the King James it's a word I can't say here and I think that maybe that has a double connotation there. But he's at odds with everyone and everyone is at odds with him. He's stubborn. He's a pain. He wants to get in a fight with everybody he sees for no reason. And out of three, the three, as the world would call them, Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, which does this sound like? Which one sounds like they're at odds with everyone else, can't get along with everyone else, even amongst their brothers? Well, unfortunately, you probably say that about the church these days, but which religion then is not the real one of promise and of faith? Won't make a peace agreement makes a peace agreement and lobs rockets over the border anyway. 
says that they're not going to terrorize you and terrorizes you. He's always fighting with everyone and everyone with them. A global war on Judaism. <laughs> the presence of all his brethren and all the infighting. And the Ishmaelites attacking the Israelites. They're half-brothers. They're brothers. The Arabs and the Israelites are half-brothers. But now Hagar comes to faith. I mean, obviously there's you know, Egyptians and ones that existed beforehand, but the one, you know what I mean, the ones that come from Abraham. I don't want to lump it into two generalization there, but now Hagar comes to faith. This Egyptian maidservant calls on the name of the Lord, just like we saw Abram and others do in the scripture. And I don't know anyone who has truly called on the name of God, it's Jesus, who has not been changed. And I don't know anyone who has not truly been changed who has called on the name of Jesus. She came to faith here. She says, have I really seen the one who just sees me? She realized that God saw her and that she saw God. And that changed her. And Be'er Lahavroi means well of the living one seeing me. But she knew this well was the one of the living God. And more than that, more than just being living, he's the one who sees me. More than the well of life or a fountain of youth or even just a watering hole for her, this was the well of the living God. And she drank of it. The water that would never lead her to thirst again. So she goes back. And Abram is 86. His 76-year-old end-of-life, midlife crisis we read about last week. Well, 10 years later, and he's still ticking. And plenty of time for God to show up with the spiritual answer to the spiritual promise. With not just physical descendants of Ishmael, but the spiritual ones of Isaac to come. And the Ishmaelites, again, are physical descendants of Abram, but again, they are not his spiritual descendants. We are not all three same faiths. Judaism and Christianity are the same God, but Judaism denies Jesus in the end. And yet, Judaism is supposed to point to Jesus. Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. And we've been grafted in as Gentiles. But the Israelites are his physical descendants, and again, they're the precursors of his final physical descendants. And to close, Galatians 3, 28 and 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you're a believer, you already are an heir of promise. You don't need to claim it. No need to make it happen. You just get to live it. You just get to be in the house of Abraham. And whether you're Jew, whether you're Arab, whether you're Egyptian, whether you're Somali, whether you're Chinese, Canadian, whether you believe in Buddha, Muhammad, Vishnu, when you meet Jesus at the well, you meet the living God, the one who really sees you. And you can inherit the promise without a work. And you can live from it and find real life in it. So God, this morning, if we've run from you or if we've been hurt and run away or we've tried to make things happen or we haven't submitted in our relationships and God, I keep saying these things and I'm sure the more I say, the more you could bring to mind about, man, we got to get stuff right. But God, for these things that you bring to mind and you show us Help us 
be good employees. Help us be better spouses, godly spouses and godly employees, godly children and godly servants, if that were the case. But more than that, God, help us be your children by faith. That God, as you promise us things, we would walk in them by faith and not in the flesh. That God, as you show us and lead us and guide us, we would follow you by faith and, and trust in you alone and seek advice from you alone and seek advice from you through others who we know seek you first. So God, let us be those who are of faith and who are willing and ready to give advice, godly advice and counsel, but also to receive it. And God, for anyone in our lives who have made fleshly mistakes, fleshly decisions, minister to them. Help us to minister to them, not out of judgment, not out of condemnation, because God, you're our master and you don't treat us that way. You don't threaten us. Let us extend a hand to them at the well that they're at and give them the water of life that will really meet their needs. We thank you, God, for this. By your spirit, God, be lifted up. We love you, Jesus. You love us so much. Come soon, we pray. Bless the people who come to the door and see a sign about Bible and turn around. Reach them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.